Well, I am excited to share on the gut-brain connection, its connection with agriculture and happiness. And before we begin, let's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to come before you just now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in here, even though this is mainly upon science and agriculture. It is all based upon the foundations of Scripture. And so we ask that your blessing would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would impress us. And even through this simple message that Jesus would be uplifted, we pray in his name. Amen. Agriculture and its connection to health, happiness, and the gut-brain connection. Now, this is just a, a very simple view of an introduction. We actually have a whole like five to six hours somewhere in there, or almost five or six hours of material on this. And so we're just going to give you a little bit of it, but you're going to get a little bit extra here because of agriculture. So agriculture and the gut. This is from something called 13 Manuscript Release, page 371, where it says, tell those who are sick that if the hosts of those who are dyspeptics and consumptives could turn farmers, they might overcome disease, dispense with drugs and doctors, and recover health. That sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? Uh, It sounds great. Recover our health through changing our lifestyle. Well, what on earth is a dyspeptic? So here's kind of a simple little definition of dyspeptic. It is of or having indigestion or consequent irritability or depression. Something that affects our gut can negatively impact what goes on in our minds. This is an interesting thought, but this thought actually was birthed in the Bible. This is nothing new. It was kind of rejected for a long time, and right now it's cutting-edge science. Study after study is coming out on this, and so we're going to look, about, look at this. What can agriculture do to help a dyspeptic, someone who struggles, maybe you struggle with irritability or, or depression, anxiety, these kind of things. So we're going to begin to look at the research on agriculture and health. And as we do, to do this, my wife's going to come up and talk to us about the oldest study in all of recorded history. And guess what? The oldest study in recorded history has to do with the gut-brain connection. Isn't that powerful? The oldest study has to do with the gut-brain connection. And guess where you find the oldest study in history? You have it here. It says... This is from the U.S. Um, National Library of Medicine. This is at National Institute of Health, NIH, one of the most funded um, medical institutions ever uh, by the U.S. government. Anyway, it says, An Evolution of Clinical Research, A History Before and Beyond by James Lind. And um, what did they find? It says here, The world's first clinical trial is recorded in the Book of Daniel in the Bible. Isn't that powerful? So they look back through history, and this is the first clinical trial in history. Well, what is this clinical trial? Uh, We see in Daniel chapter 1, right? Uh, Daniel and his friends are taken captive by who? Babylon. (laughs) I was born not too far from Babylon, and uh, maybe 60 miles away from Babylon. Anyway, so they were taken captive there, And what happened to them? They're put in the Babylonian university by the king. And they have full funding by the king, right? And as they go, they realize we don't really want to partake of everything the king is offering, right? And what was one of the things they didn't want to take? The food that the king offered them, right? They didn't want to partake in that because they knew what the Bible taught. They lived according to the word of God. And so what happens? Here is the study. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This young man purposed in his heart that he would live according to the word of God, regardless of what a major world empire thought about it. Not powerful. He's before a world ruler and still holds on to what God wants him to do. So what happens? What is this study about? 
says here in Daniel 1.20, and in, oh, so then the, the study, sorry. <laughs> the study is that he tells him, prove your servants how many days? Ten days. That's all it took. Ten days. And um, he said to give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And what is pulse? Pulse is things grown from seeds, right? So anything that grew from a seed, that's what they were going to eat. And um, then after the 10 days and after the time that they spent there, it says in Daniel 1.20, it says, In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. 10 times better than anybody else that was in the king's court. Isn't that powerful? Simple faith in God's word put these young men in a high position and with great influence. You and I get to meet King Nebuchadnezzar someday because some teenagers decided it was worth trusting God. Isn't that powerful? We get to meet a world-ruling uh, emperor someday because of Daniel. I think it's powerful. You know, when you read through history, sometimes you're like, oh, I wish I could meet that person someday. I hope they were saved, <laughs> right? I hope they were saved because I'd like to meet them and get a little more of the background of their story. And that's what eternity is going to be like. Isn't that awesome? All right, let's get back to the gut brain. Um, so we see that there is this connection with the gut and the brain, right? What these young men ate affected their intellect, right? It affected their intellect. Well, I'm going to show you a clip of our um, documentary called Ancient Health, Eight Secrets to Ancient Health. And in this documentary, um, this is just a little clip of it. We are, we are going to show you what the gut-brain connection does, even to this day, not just Daniel's time. Here we go. But the main thing that folks should be concerned about is how long you live and how likely you are to get disease. And there have been three major studies published on this subject, big meta-analyses. And these meta-analyses, and only three big ones have been published, they show consistently that low-carb diets, in other words, low plant food diets, high animal food diets, consistently they show that they're associated with more heart disease and more death, more mortality. If you look around the world and you look at these people in the blue zones, the, the average percentage of calories from carbs range from, ranges from about 50% to about 80%. It, carbs are not the enemy. Refined carbs are the enemy. Uh, there have been a number of recent studies. Uh, Dr. Beeshold uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, first she did an observational study showing that plant-based diet actually significantly improves your depression and anxiety stress score. It's called a DASS score. So the mood actually is improved when you get the right amount of carbohydrates, but also the right type of carbohydrates and less protein. Then she followed up with an interventional study, and that's where she took people who are not on a plant-based diet and put them on a plant-based diet for two weeks. She also put them on a plant-based diet plus fish for two weeks to see which one would be superior. And it turned out the fish diet wasn't any more superior than the carnivore diet. But the plant-based diet, significant dramatic changes, statistically significant changes in just two weeks in their mental ability. We see when people go on this diet and drink plenty of water, get plenty of rest, follow these natural remedies, that they, it's just like something snaps in their brain, and it doesn't take like weeks or months. Plant-based diet is key in our program for depression and anxiety recovery. The results are outstanding because it's a comprehensive approach, it's not just diet. We also utilize exercise, and we're utilizing correct thoughts and a lot of different modalities. But the diet is a key element. I went on a plant-based diet about five weeks ago. It's amazing because I, even if they had, had not told me he had the diet change, the first thing I noticed was he was bringing his schoolwork in. And my teacher has actually been bragging on how much better I've been behaving since I've been on the diet. 
in class, he wasn't getting as distracted, that he was paying attention, he was able to listen more closely, he was being alert, his discernment was better, uh, he was more diligent, everything. I can pay attention more. My mind is more clear since I've been on the diet. It's just a, a huge improvement. And I also noticed he lost a lot of weight. I mean, but the main things I noticed was behavioral. A study in a middle school has showed clearly that switching the menu from animal source to plant source diet almost eliminated absenteeism, um, increased and in enhanced attention and homework performance and performance at school. It, it almost eliminated acts of violence as well as teen pregnancies. And so they just feel better. Everywhere the blood flows, everywhere that perfect circulation goes, they feel better. Not just in body, but in mind. Clears up their thoughts even. And every single day since I've been on a plant-based diet, the clarity continues to increase and my face continues to look younger and I, my body feels like I feel like I look more vibrant. I, I've looked at pictures of myself before and after and I look five years older even just 10 months ago than I do now. What we eat does get turned into neurotransmitters. It actually helps us or hurts us depending on what we're eating in regards to our brain chemistry and it plays a vital role in health of the brain. They'll say within three or four days, they, they seem to have clarity. They can, they're, they're alert. They, they, can, they listen in class better. They absorb more, and they do better on their tests. The fog has been lifted out of my head. I think clear. I've got better ideas, I believe. Um, I, can, I can put two and two together faster. And just in general, I'm happier. In fact, diet alone, studies show that diet alone will reduce your depression and anxiety scores by half just by dramatically changing your diet to a plant-based. And so that's significant. Now, we go for more than just half, and so that's why we have a whole program that, in, that includes more than this. Uh, but just the diet alone will make a big difference. You don't have to choose between high-quality living and longevity. It's the same program. The same new start approach to living helps you live longer, and it helps you live better. Amen. Did somebody see themselves in there? <laughs> it was during her class that, um, at Weimar that we were filming. It just hit me. I was like, oh, there's Jeannie. All right, so isn't that interesting um, that the same study that was done back in Babylon 2,500 years ago is replicated today and has the same effect. Isn't that powerful? This effect of the gut-brain connection and that, that science can be replicated, true science can be replicated and have the same outcome. Isn't that powerful? Um, so this gut-brain connection, very important, Right? In Lamentations 1.20, it says he, this, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. So we see the gut-brain connection going both ways, right? And we may look at that and chuckle, but I think they were more in tune with their bodies and their minds back then than we realize. And they understood this connection and how important it was. Scientists have discovered that a high-fat diet leads to depressive, anxious symptoms in mice. It also promotes inflammation. Inflammation is a marker for depression as well as other lifestyle diseases. Heart disease, diabetes, all of these things have inflammation. You have inflammation when you have these diseases. And so depression is one of them. And it says that high-fat diet. Well, let's see this study. There was a study done with some mice... And the mice uh, were put into two categories. One of them were put on a high-fat diet, okay? One were put on a high-fat diet, and the other one was put on a regular-fat diet, the other group. And what they found is the high-fat diet mice exhibited behaviors after their high-fat diet, you know, what, what happened to them. Um, they exhibited behaviors of repetitive um, behaviors, 
You know, like you would do if you're depressed, what do you do? You go over the same thoughts over and over and over. It's kind of like OCD. So they had uh, repetitive behaviors. They had inflammation. They had um, memory loss and... Inflammation. I said inflammation. And I have a list of it. So they exhibited these behaviors, but the other mice did not. The regular fat diet mice did not exhibit these behaviors, these little guys here. So what they ended up doing is doing a bacteria transplant from the guts of the high-fat diet mice and putting it into the guts of the regular fat diet mice. Okay? They did a, a bacteria transplant. And what do you think happened to the behaviors of the regular fat diet mice now that they had the same gut bacteria that the high-fat mice did. The same. You got it. So the regular diet mice, given microbes from high-fat diet mice, experienced, here it is, anxiety. That's the one I forgot. Um, Impaired memory, repetitive behaviors, and inflammation. Isn't that interesting? So the high fat somehow affects our microbes and our microbes somehow affect our mind, right? Depending on what microbes you have in your gut, it affects you. It says here in Child Guidance, it cannot be too often repeated that whatever is taken into the stomach affects not only the body, but ultimately the mind as well. This is interesting right here. It is difficult and often well-nigh impossible for one who is intemperate in diet to exercise what? Patience and self-control. Now, I grew up in a family where we argued a lot. And I just thought, well, this is just who we are and can't change and things like that. But then when I look at things like this, I think, It is difficult and often well-nigh impossible to be patient and have self-control if you are intemperate. And I look at that and I'm thinking, wow, well, I have control over my temperance, right? I can control temperance. God's given me that ability. And so in turn, it will control my patience and self-control. To me, that's good news. I think it's perfectly good news because otherwise I beat myself up and say, I can never change. This isn't working for me. And could it be I stayed up late one night and the next morning I'm getting into arguments? Could it be I ate something that disagreed with my stomach and now I'm irritated, right? Could it be I overdid something? You know, these things, it's God made these bodies. And for us to think it's legalism right, if we take care of these bodies, is a strange thought. Because he created them. And if he created them, he knows how they run. And he knows how to make us happy. And you can be happier the more you work according to the laws of this body, right? And when I realized that, I thought, it's not legalism. It's freedom, right? Because otherwise, I beat myself up all the time thinking I'm such a bad person And I'm always running into these same ruts. And God's like, I've given you a way to deal with it. Do you trust me to to follow this path, right? So that's just an encouragement. If anybody grew up in a home like I did, right? (laughs) All right. Look at this here. It says, think twice how the gut's second brain influences mood and well-being. What are scientists calling your gut now? The second brain, isn't that powerful? The second brain, they're realizing this connection. It says here, um, the second brain informs our state of mind in other more obscure ways as well. A big part of our emotions are probably influenced by the nerves in our gut, Mayor says. Butterflies in the stomach signaling in the gut as part of our physiological stress response. But I'm going to skip down. It says, although GI turmoil can sour one's moods, everyday emotional well-being may rely upon the rely on messages from the brain below to the brain above. So it can sour your mood and affect your everyday emotional well-being. 
Your gut can. It says here in Councils on Diet and Foods, people who have a sour stomach are very often of a sour disposition. Everything seems to be contrary to them, and they are inclined to be peevish and irritable. If we would have peace among ourselves, we should give more thought than we do to having a peaceful stomach. Now, you might be thinking, you know, these two are up here sharing these things because they're just like, you know, always done these things, and they're just, you know, they, they go along with... No. Um, we, we live contrary to these things and, and actually maybe worked against them. And um, Chad will share a little later some of his testimony, but he, he lived through eight years of um, seasonal depression, and then two more years after that of full all-year-round depression. And he'll explain how that happened. And you'll understand it as we explain the the gut-brain connection a little more. And through that time, you know, a lot of struggles. You know, and by the end of it, if you told him he had to stand on his head for two hours a day, he would have been willing to do it. Because the depression was just overwhelming. Overwhelmingly filled with guilt. Guilty thoughts all the time. And he'll share that with you. But I'm just letting you know, this is why we even got into this stuff is because we had a need ourselves, right? And a lot of times our needs will bring us to our knees and look for solutions. And praise the Lord, um, Chad didn't give up, amen? And kept going forward and found the solution so that now he could be a blessing to other people. And he's actually happy he went through that because now he can share what the Lord has done for him. So, The surprising link between gut germs and toddler's tantrums. Wow, isn't that interesting? So they're finding that if a child has a good diversity, a a, a good diversity of good gut bacteria. A higher, higher diversity. A higher diversity, thank you. If a child has a higher diversity of good gut bacteria, then they are more social, outgoing, and happy. If they have higher of the lower of the good and higher of the bad gut bacteria, they're withdrawn and have tantrums and are shy. And now we've noticed this, right? And so if a little three-year-old comes up to perfect strangers, come up to us and is like, hi, I'm so-and-so. And we're like, Chad and I look at that kid's got good gut bacteria. <laughs> It's become a little joke between us, but it's so true. You really see it. And then if you talk to the parents, they'll say, yeah, they've had this issue and that issue, and they had to go through this and that, and you're like, oh, they've got gut issues. Um, so whenever we share these things, people start thinking then, um, how do I get good gut bacteria then, right? And your mind just starts to think like, what do I do? How do I fix this? And guess what? If you want a good ratio, you're going to have to wait for Chad to come tell you. He'll come up. All right. This next article is from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is headed out by a Dr. Neil Barnard. And the title of this is Vegan Diets Lead to Healthier Intestinal Bacteria. Plant-based diet. Now, the question is why? Okay, the research shows this, but now why... Do plant-based diets lead to healthier... Now, I want to be very clear, though. You could be a very unhealthy vegan. Yes or no? Beer is vegan. Yes or no? What are, what are some other junk foods that are vegan? What's that? Oreo cookies are vegan. So if you were, you know, drinking beer, you know, or eating Oreo cookies and washing it down with beer, would you be a healthy individual? No, so you're not going to get good gut bacteria probably from that kind of a diet. But eating a whole plant-based diet, especially one that would be grown on your own property, right? Uh, Especially, they've actually found that organic food has higher diversity of good good bacteria on it than conventionally grown produce. So if you're growing it yourself, it's even better than if you're going to be buying standard conventional. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to be absolutely organic, but I'm giving you the best research that is out there today. This makes perfect sense. Now, actually, before we read Genesis 1, so what have they found? They have found that plant foods 
all the things that you eat made of plants have bacteria on them and within them. And you might be thinking, okay, I will never eat plants again. They're actually good bacteria in general, unless you've mixed some manure on there or some kind of contamination. In general, they have a diversity of good gut bacteria. And as you eat, let's say you eat an apple, it may have a hundred million bacteria on and within it. And as you eat that, you're adding the diversity of bacteria that's in an apple to your gut. And then, if you only ate apples, you'd only get the bacterial strains that are from apples. But if you add pears, now you'll get new strains of bacteria. If you add to your diet kale and spinach and broccoli and sweet potatoes, you're adding to your bacterial pool that the researchers, the scientists call your microbiome. So if you only eat one thing or a very small mix of foods, you're not going to have as good of bacterial input to the gut. And one of the, one of the reasons researchers have found that they say one of the reasons why plant-based eaters live longer, healthier, and happier is actually potentially because they have a greater diversity of gut bacteria. And what do they happen to eat? You know, if, if you go plant-based, what's one of the first questions people have after they ask you where do you get your protein? They'll also ask, what do you eat? Do you just eat salad all the time? And uh, the answer is no, there's tons of, and they've actually found that plant-based eaters eat, actually eat a greater diversity of food than standard meat-based eaters. Because we eat all kinds of things, right? You, you try something new you've never had before. And because of that, you're also adding to that bacterial pool, your microbiome, lowering inflammation, potentially increasing happiness. Now, we could guess this by knowing what the Bible says. Now, the original diet given to humanity, and by the way, we're not forced to be plant-based or vegetarian or vegan. Everybody can choose to, and you and me actually know, the Seventh-day Adventists, as far as they go, less than half of them are, ad, ad, are plant-based. So it's not, nobody's forced to do this. This is a choice that you have. But interestingly enough, we could go back to the beginning, to the garden of what? Now, in the Hebrew language of the Bible, that the Bible was the Old Testament, most of it was written in Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, the word Eden means pleasure. It was the garden of pleasure. So you would infer that whatever God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden would most promote their health and happiness. And thinking about that, Genesis 1.29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food. So God said, listen, I've given you all these things in the garden of pleasure, and these are the things that will promote your pleasure, your happiness, the most. Because it's the garden of pleasure. And so just having the Bible, this would have made perfect sense. You think of the old minister, uh, John Wesley. He himself went plant-based just because of what the Bible said. This is nothing new, really. So this is from the Bulgarian Journal of Plant Physiology. Do you read that one often? Probably not, right? But notice the title of this review in the Bulgarian Journal of Plant Physiology. It says, Animal Neurotransmitter Substances in Plants. What are they talking about? Scientists have discovered that the neurotransmitters, to make it very kind of layman's language, brain chemicals, chemicals that your brain needs to function for you to be healthy and happy, they're actually found where? In plants. So then if you eat those plants, you could be giving to your brain the chemicals, the neurotransmitters that it actually needs to function well. But once again, if you're eating even refined junk food plants, you're probably not going to have the same benefits. Actually, you're not going to have the same benefits as if you're eating them closer to the way God designed them, the way that he made them. Fascinating. This is an incredible study. Before, before giving my life to Jesus, I was a heavy drinker, really an alcoholic. I would drink myself to sleep at night. And I was talking, I shared this research with a methamphetamine addict And he shared with me, he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, one thing that all addicts have in common, he said, is that addicts all have terrible diets. And I thought of myself when I was living a life of addiction, and I had a terrible diet. It was refined junk food, basically cheese and meats. That was basically what it was. And I felt like I just had this addictive personality. 
Now, think of what we've just learned and check out this research that was done in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and it revealed an imbalance of gut bacteria in certain alcoholics. It was a small study of 60 alcoholics and they discovered that 24 of them had lower levels of bacteria in their guts. Now, with what you've already learned so far in this seminar, do you think the alcoholics with less gut bacteria found it easier or more difficult to overcome their alcoholism? More difficult was your guess. Now, you're exactly right. What does the research show? After 19 days alcohol-free, those with lower levels of bacteria had higher levels of anxious feeling, depression, and desire for alcohol. When you're anxious, when you're depressed, you're more likely to turn to some habit to try to pacify your soul, right? So that you feel better. So you turn to alcohol. You turn to some kind of addiction. You turn to a drug. And they found that the 36 participants with better gut bacteria were doing better. So could it be that we could help change people's lives in the area of addiction by changing what they eat? And a study is actually being conducted on this very thing right now. They may actually be done with it by this point. I'm not sure. And so we'll find out. The, but I know from personal experience, it changed my life. I know that it's true. We, we see here research. Fruit and vegetables may help to combat drug addiction. And check this out. You might have heard there's a, there's a great book called uh, Councils in Diet and Foods. Listen to what it said. Listen to this. It says, in our medical institutions, clear instruction should be given in regard to temperance. The patient should be shown the evil of intoxicating liquor and the blessing of total abstinence. They should be asked to discard the things that have ruined their health and the place of these things should be supplied with an abundance of what? Fruit. We were told this before the research ever came out. What does it say? Oranges, lemons, Prunes, peaches, and many other varieties can be obtained for the Lord's world is productive if painstaking effort is put forth. Fascinating. Could we be helping alcoholics, drug addicts, or people in general with bad habits by helping them change what we eat? We actually have a whole seminar called the Overcoming Seminar that is, implements this very thing to help people out. And... Let's go forward. This is from the University of Queensland in Australia. The title of this is Fruit is a Depression Buster for Women. What they discovered was that women who ate higher quantities of fruit had lower levels of depression. Fascinating. Just the opposite. And just in case you're wondering, you're saying, Chad, but I don't want to eat fruit because I'll get fat. Is, is the United States gotten larger because of our overabundance of fruit eating? No, that's not what it is, right? That is not... Actually, one of the most... Uh, the, one of the foods that will help you to lose weight the absolute most is actually fruit. Like you see on the... I, I've seen these like commercials on the internet. It'll be like, if you want to lose belly fat, don't eat this one thing. And they'll show a banana. That is ridiculous. Bananas are... There are people... I am not exaggerating. Have you heard of fruititarians? Fruititarians... There's a website called 30 Bananas a Day. These people literally eat 30 bananas a day and they are skinnier than I am. They are super skinny. You don't get fat from eating bananas or any fruit for that matter. So I, we, we have a whole seminar on the gut-brain connection and we'll have it in the back afterward. But, uh, and it, it teaches on weight loss also and happiness and health and all of these things. But I don't have time to go into all of this. This is from the Journal of Neuropsychiatry of Clinical Neuroscience. And it says here, depression in fruit treatment. The beginning of it says, depression is a common mood disorder affecting sleep, appetite, and libido. And is also one of the manifestations of dementia and may lead to suicide attempts, particularly with violent methods. Then they go on to talk about, well, hey, maybe, maybe if people had better neurotransmitters, brain chemicals, they would be happier. And they said, well, hey, maybe they would simply get them in the food that they eat if they eat well, what do they eat? So it actually says it up here, at uh, kind of the top center, the second paragraph in the top center. There are some high content sources of serotonin, melatonin, and tryptophan, which can be uh, provided, uh, which can provide the body with these substances. These include plantains, pineapples, bananas, kiwis, plums, tomatoes for serotonin, then it goes on and on. But here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that the food that is made 
to make you healthier and happier, less depressed, is things like fruit. The food that God gave us in our sinless state. To make them happy. It makes people happy today. And it could make them less likely. And then it goes on at the end, it says that eating, it seems that eating such foods in the daily diet of depressed patients could not only treat the disease, but may improve the prognosis of dementia and decrease violent suicide attempts. Isn't that powerful? Very, very powerful. So is there happiness in plant foods? There is a, this is a major component of overcoming depression. Not the only component. I don't want to say that at all. Actually, in our seminar that we have uh, hours on this material, we show other things, uh, other health habits that help us to be less likely to be depressed. But here is a study from the British Journal of Health Psychology saying many apples a day keep the blues away. Now you're thinking, oh man, I have to eat several apples every single day? No, it's just a play on an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And what they found is that several pieces of, or several servings of fruits or vegetables lower your chances of depression. But what they found was fascinating. They found that it not only made you happier the day that you ate them, it would forecast how happy you would be the next day. So we get to choose how happy we're going to be today based upon what we eat. And this, is, this study was replicated in a larger study here in the American Journal of Public Health. And on the left-hand side going up is levels of life satisfaction or happiness. And from the bottom left to the right is how many servings of fruits or vegetables you eat in a day. If you eat zero, you're statistically at the lowest level of happiness. If you eat one, it probably wouldn't even be statistically significant, but a tiny bit better. Two, three, four, five, six, seven... Eight servings of fruits or vegetables will make you significantly happier the day that you consume them, and it will forecast how happy you'll be tomorrow. Isn't that powerful? God has given us these things to make us happier and healthier and give us clearer minds so that we can be drawn nearer to Him, which is most important. So, I want to talk about some intestinal permeability. And uh, for some time, you know, doctors wondered, is this actually true? Now, study after study has come out on what's called intestinal, intestinal permeability, uh, commonly referred to as leaky gut. Where what can happen is, in our intestines, we have a, a barrier, a membrane, that is supposed to have tight junctions so that the things that we've eaten, the undigested proteins and certain uh, harmful bacteria, would stay within the intestines and pass through when we use the toilet. And, but what can happen is certain foods can actually open up the junctions, and other things, toxins also, can open up the junctions in our gut, allowing undigested proteins and bacteria to flood into your bloodstream, therefore promoting inflammation within your body, causing systemic inflammation. Well, what do we see about this? This is very fascinating. So, this is speaking about marital arguments. This is research on marital arguments and a leaky gut. What did they find at Ohio State University? They found that in, in, the, in the journal Psychoneuroendocrinology, researchers found increased intestinal permeability in couples who had more hostile marital disagreements. You might be thinking, oh, that's why I argue with my wife, right? Maybe it's my gut. And you might be thinking, I don't have any pain in my gut. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to share with you some of my testimony. And we would argue, to be honest, almost all the time. My wife and I, I'm not proud of that. I wish it weren't true. I wish I didn't have to tell you this. And after a change of diet, it changed our marriage. It literally changed our marriage. And I didn't have any pain in my gut that I was going, oh, I, I have pain and now I'm cranky. I noticed no pain in my gut, but as my gut healed, it began to heal the mind. It literally changed our lives. So are there certain things that we could eat that in, could increase intestinal permeability? Let's look at the research. Intestinal permeability and certain spices. Notice this. We see here from the Journal of Nutrition, researchers looked at the effect of certain spices and their effect on intestinal permeability. And it revealed that certain spices, including cayenne, paprika, and chili powder, can increase intestinal permeability. Very interesting. 
Someone may, uh, the, the one that, actually two of those give people struggles. They say, uh, but we've heard that cayenne is good for you. Now, it is true. Spices, almost all spices have ridiculous amounts of antioxidants. So, do you have to eat them if they have a side effect, yet they have benefits? Well, you also can eat other foods that have plenty of antioxidants and maybe not have to have the negative side effects. Does that make sense? It's not like uh, spices are the only thing on earth that has you know, antioxidants. We find them in fruits, we find them in veggies in general, and so certain things that may cause you trouble, uh, may, they may have benefits in other places. I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. Like I said, high antioxidant, benefit. Uh, but could they trouble your gut and make you more likely to be angry and lustful and have marital problems? That's a good question. So this is, we, this is, uh, we are told this. You may have seen this quote before. Spices at first, listen, to this, this, is, this is like mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. We found that they irritate the tender coating of the stomach, the leaky gut syndrome, and listen to what we were told. Spices at first irritate the tender coating of the stomach. Exactly what research now tells us. But finally destroy the natural sensitiveness of this delicate membrane. The blood becomes fevered, the animal propensities are aroused, while the moral and intellectual powers are weakened and become servants to the baser passions. Isn't that fascinating? And this is now what we see in the research. I'm going to share with you a personal experience that I, you know, um, you know would love. I share with you already about the arguments that my wife and I would struggle with. And uh, it literally made such a massive difference. And this is what we did. We, we knew about this. We knew about like the last quote that I showed you. And I never noticed the difference between when I ate spicy food. I love spicy food. You might be thinking, ah, what does this white boy know about spicy food? I grew up eating some of the spiciest food ever. Like you maybe have heard of habanero peppers. Habaneros make a jalapeno seem like a carrot. They are so ridiculously spicy. But I never noticed the difference between how angry I was or how lustful I was while, when I ate these foods and when I didn't. And then we decided, my wife and I decided we were going to go, we are going to go a month without any spices. We didn't know which ones would cause us trouble, so we just got rid of all spices 100%. We still, still use salt, but no spices. And what we noticed was, so the day after we stopped eating spices, you know what happened? We argued just as much as the day before. And same thing with the next day. And probably the next day. I mean, I don't remember every one of these days, but it just continued on pretty normal. And then somewhere between, I don't know, seven to ten days to two weeks, we began to change. We began to be more calm, more patient with each other. Things that formerly would have frustrated us, we just maybe would chuckle about it. And it got better and better. And then for two months... Our, within two months, our marriage was better than it had ever been. And then we were invited by some folks to go out to an Indian restaurant. And it was particular. There's different levels of spice. and We've been to India, spent months there. And, and uh, there's different levels of spiciness in India. The, the far east of India, they, they eat almost no spices. And then Andhra is like the hottest, spiciest area. And we went out to eat to a super spicy area. and Or not area, to a restaurant. And you know what? I ate that food and I loved it because I love spicy food. And you know what happened that night? Nothing. We were still patient with each other. So you think, okay, this is a terrible illustration since it doesn't obviously make a difference. But the next day, I spoke totally rudely to my wife. And then somebody did something to her. I, 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 basically, she was, she was cooking something in the Instant Pot and Somebody, not myself, we were staying with somebody, and they, they unplugged it to plug something else in partway through the cycle. And when she saw it, she's like, somebody unplugged it. I have no idea how far it cooked. And she began to get angry with the individual. They didn't know. They, she just, it was in her heart. She kept quiet about it because nobody was around. And she, she got so frustrated, and she was like, Lord, why am I so frustrated about this? This is crazy. I can't control my emotions. This is overwhelming. And uh, then she told me later, and later that day I spoke rudely to her again, and she said, why are you doing this? And I thought about it, I thought, yeah, we haven't been doing this lately. And I said, you know what we ate yesterday, don't you? And she said, no. And I said, yeah, I think so. You say, that's a nice anecdotal story, but we have tried this over and over and over with nearly 100% uh, the same results. Over and over and over. And 
we went to a certain country we were visiting in the world that I knew ate some of the spiciest food in the world, and we were speaking mainly to medical professionals and medical students. And as we were speaking to them about this, one of the doctors... Now, we knew they ate super spicy food, and I figured that in that country, they would have very high levels of sexual abuse of children and rape. But then I got there, and the people seemed pretty happy, and it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I didn't know the stats. And then one of the doctors came up to me, um, you know, a, a childhood doctor, a pediatrician came up to me and he said, uh, I work with children day in, day out. And he said, the official government statistics in our country are that 50% of children are sexually abused. He said, but since I work with them every single day, he said, I believe those numbers are far off. I think it's actually closer to 80 to 95% of children are sexually abused here. I figured it would be high. I wouldn't have imagined that high. And then another friend of mine, I asked him, hey, I, who, who I knew had lived there for a while. He was from the States. And I said, do you know about all the sexual abuse and rape that goes on in that particular country? And he said, oh, absolutely. My wife asked one of their workers, she said, is it true that so many women are raped in this country? And the woman responded by saying, I don't know a woman who has not been raped. This is incredible. And I'll tell you, we'll, just to be totally open and honest, forthright with you, I have noticed an incredible difference in my lust levels based upon when I eat these foods, also my anger, anxiety, and depression when I eat these foods. But the reason nobody notices the correlation is because I don't notice any difference the day I eat it. And I don't, and it doesn't stop the day you start, the day you stop eating it. So it goes on the next day, you may notice no difference. The third day, you may notice. So it takes a while for the delicate membrane of the stomach to heal. Now, just like if you were cut, does the cut heal the next day, totally heal? No, it takes a while. So too, it seems with our gut, it takes time for those junctions to begin to repair. Maybe days, maybe even weeks in some cases. So let's go forward. So we're going to look, we're going to try to finish up. It says, in, in many cases of sickness, the very, okay, if we want to reset our stomach, the very best remedy is for the patient to fast for a meal or two. Not for a week or two, just, just start off and fast for a meal or two. Many of our little uh, health centers, you know, do this exact same thing. Patients come, they give them a short fast, and then, uh, then what do they do? It says, that the overworked organs of digestion may have an opportunity to rest, they fast. After that, we're told to do a fruit diet for a few days has often brought great relief to brain workers. Many times a short period of entire abstinence from food followed by simple moderate eating has led to recovery through nature's own recuperative effort. An abstemious diet for a month or two would convince many sufferers that the path of self-denial is the path to health. So we're going to review this. So back to this idea of dyspepsia. We heard about this in the beginning. If we would turn farmers, maybe we could lose this dyspepsia, which is trouble in the stomach that you may not even feel that makes you irritability, gives you irritability or depression. So for a dyspeptic stomach, you may place upon your tables fruits of different kind, but not too many at one meal. You don't want to have 10 different kinds of fruit at a meal. Too, too much uh, diversity at a meal can give you trouble. We were told this also, for a dyspeptic stomach, exercise aids the dyspeptic by giving the digestive organs a healthy tone. So two things a farmer will get from his labor are exercise and what? Food. With good gut bacteria that can begin to heal his gut or her gut, right? Very, very powerful here. So let's ways to balance the gut from the quote we saw just a little bit ago. Number one, it said to fast for a meal or two if you're struggling with anything, if you're struggling with anger, anxiety, depression, or many diseases, except for certain things like you know type 1 diabetes, you might not want to fast, and certain things, work with your doctor on that if you have some health issues. Uh, but fasting for a meal or two, and then number two, eat more whole fruits. One of the cautions that we say is, Work with your doctor. Many times people are afraid of giving diabetics uh, fruit, but actually the research shows, this is from the British Medical Journal, they showed that plants, fruits specifically, anything below that solid black line at the top, lowers your chances of type 2 diabetes. And I don't have time to go into all this, but uh, as you go forward, and interestingly enough, dried fruit can sometimes be better for a diabetic than fresh fruit. We see that prunes... Lower your chances of diabetes, type 2 diabetes even more than fresh plums. We were told, by the way, 
that we can eat more fresh fruit than is customary with best results to health. And this is what the research now shows. Incredible. Incredible. Did I say something wrong, Fadia? I'm sorry. Dried fruits, my wife's correcting me, dried fruits in some cases, like the prunes, can actually be more beneficial. Now, I don't mean just eat. I mean, eat fresh fruit. Fresh fruit is phenomenal. But sometimes dried fruit, because think about it. If we get back to the point where difficult times come, it becomes more difficult to buy or sell, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat the food that you what? You, you preserve, that you grow yourself. And most of us, if we don't live in the tropics, we don't have fresh fruit all year round, do we? But even dried fruit can cause the benefits, even potentially more so sometimes, than the fresh fruit. That is incredible. So, number three, eat more whole grains. That could be whole wheat, bread, oatmeal, and other whole well-cooked uh, well grains. They need to be well-cooked when it comes to grains. If you have celiac disease, or if you're one of the potentially 6% of people who struggles with gluten, then you want to avoid that. But for 94% of people, they generally do perfectly fine with it. So, next one. Eat more whole vegetables. When I say whole, it doesn't have to be raw. It just mean, we means un, uh, non-refined. That's what we're talking about. And avoid spicy food if you struggle with anger, anxiety, lust, depression, and uh, even if you don't, you'll probably see a difference. If you're one of those families that's super godly, super kind, never's argued with your spouse, because I know there's some of you out there, not me, uh, you're probably not going to notice the same difference that I do with spices. It's, I, I'm really sharing this because some of you might have anger in your household. You may have parents, who are, or you may be the parent who is just negative toward your children, depressed all the time, and this might be one of the major factors. But some of you are just saints. You, are just, you have bred sin out of your family. And praise the Lord for that. I'm being facetious there. But some families, have just, they're just so powerful. And praise the Lord for you. Uh, but let's go forward. So, eat a handful of nuts a day. You don't really need any more of it, typically, for the neurological benefits. And if you go on a total plant-based diet, you will want to supplement, supplement from time to time with B12. So, if these things don't work for you, you can contact us. I can send you some information on the Elimination Challenge diet if you want. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I don't have time to go into that now. But it's anchorpointfilms.com. Hit contact us. It'll come to us or anchorpointfilms at gmail.com. But we're going to close. This is, our closing, this is our closing story, and it's powerful. So this is a true story about the Victor Valley Medium Community Correctional Facility in Adelanto, California. And what did they find? What did they find? Now... Number one, they picked the longest name they could possibly think of for a prison, right? And what did they discover? Now, this was a prison that had 500 inmates. Actually, it was started by a multimillionaire Seventh-day Adventist businessman. And typically, it, it's interesting, many people hate the idea of private prisons. You're going to see, I love the idea of private prisons if they're done this way. This is, there's no... No public prison who has had as great a success as this one, that I know of anyway. Let's see what we see. They, it was, this uh, man was given, Terry Moreland was given a, a contract with the state of California, with the CDC, not the one you typically think of, the California Department of Corrections, and to have a 500-inmate prison. And they allowed, they had two, they actually literally had two sides to the facility, separated side. One side would be kind of on a standard meat-based diet. Um, and the other side would be on a plant-based diet. And one of the government workers, when they heard that, they said, no way, no way. These guys would rather burn the place to the ground than eat a plant-based diet. And uh, the, you know, they said, well, uh, we'll give them the choice. They said, okay. And so they gave them the choice. And guess what? Uh, and, and, uh, on, the, on the one side, whoops, on one side, they allowed them to choose between a new start program of a plant-based diet, occupational training, and Bible studies and anger management classes. And I already showed you what percentage of them chose to go plant-based of their own volition. 85% of these guys chose to go on a vegan diet. This is incredible. So what was the result of this? Now, at the time of this study the recidivism rate in California was 95%. You say, Chad, what is that? Recidivism is a statistical measure at which when someone goes to prison one time, when they've served their time and they come out of prison, 
what is the statistical chances that they will go back to prison? And at that time, 95% of people who got out of prison in California went back to prison by committing another crime. So this prison, though, that was run with this, with this diet, what ended up happening? The recidivism rate from this prison dropped from 95% all the way down to 2%. The national average is 51%. So could you imagine if 90 plus percent of people who went to prison, that their lives could be totally changed by the power of the gospel and also by a plant-based diet. But you say, Chad, maybe it was just the gospel. Well, listen, how many prisons have Bible studies in them? All prisons have Bible. Listen, the gospel has power. But for people who struggle with depression, anxiety, you may believe the gospel. I did, and I struggled with depression for 10 years. I believed in the gospel. I believed that Jesus was the only way to salvation. I could not work my way to salvation. The idea that you could work your way to salvation is ridiculous, right? I knew that, but yet I struggled with depression. And after a, I spent time with, I spent time in devotions every single day, seeking the Lord, asking for forgiveness, trying to make the sins of the past right, spending thousands of dollars to try to right the wrongs of my past. And yet I never felt any peace. Almost ever. It was terrible. I kept going forward. I kept sharing with people about Jesus. I kept witnessing to people around the world, but yet still felt darkness all around. Every morning, the very first thought was just deep, dark guilt. And then I saw a, 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 a similar quote to what I showed you there about how going on a plant-based diet. Remember it said go on a fast, then for a time a fruit diet. Not forever. Not forever. For a time. And I did that. And within two weeks my depression began to just go away. For the first time in two solid years, because remember, I had eight years of seasonal depression and then two years of continual depression. And they, the two years of continual depression took place after I got, I got some antibiotics for being bit by ticks. A doctor friend of mine said, hey, I'll give you some antibiotics so you don't get Lyme disease. I said, okay, no problem. I took them. And then I was depressed year-round. And I didn't know then about research that had been conducted that showed that for every round of antibiotics we take, they increase our chances of depression by about 25%. And for every two to five rounds of antibiotics we take, it increases our chances of depression by about 50%. Now, by the way, what do antibiotics kill? Bacteria. Do they only kill bad bacteria? No, they're like a shotgun. It just, it just you know, kills bacteria. And they've actually found that it changes the microbiome, the bacterial pool within the guts of people who take them. Now, I'm not telling you not to ever take them, but I'm just telling you my personal experience and then I was depressed year-round, but two years of this, of year-round depression, and then beginning to implement these things literally changed my life. Now, some of you might have read that wonderful book. There's a beautiful book called Ministry of Healing. And what if, what if changing people's diets could change people from a life of crime? Check this out. Wrong habits of eating and the use of unhealthful food are in no small degree responsible for the intemperance and what? Crime and wretchedness that curse the world. I was an addict. And as the diet changed, my mind began to... I, even after... So, I, be, I really gave my life to the Lord, but then felt for years like I was still an addict. Sure, I might not have done drugs anymore. Sure, I didn't drink the alcohol or smoke cigarettes anymore. But I still felt like an addict. I still felt unchanged. Even, but, but I wouldn't do it. I'd claim promises and, and God would, you know, I, I, I wouldn't drink the alcohol anymore. Praise the Lord. I, or smoke or whatever it was. But here's the thing. When the dietary change came, I didn't even feel like doing any of these things anymore. It changed me also. God can give the victory, and He does, but the way He gave us in the Garden of Eden to eat can make us healthier, happier people so we don't want to live the same lives of sin and crime that maybe we committed in the past. And I'll tell you, it's been such a life-changing experience to me. This is as much as time. I think we've run out of time. If you have any more interest, we have some of the, a whole series on the gut-brain connection and overcoming habits, two, two separate series in the back. 
that have been a part of changing my life. And I want to challenge you. If you struggle with anger, depression, anxiety, lust, some of these principles may change your life like it has mine. None of this is judgment. I can sit down with my dad and he can eat his octopus and we can enjoy each other's company. I eat my sweet potato and beans. We can enjoy each other's... We don't have to be judgmental to other people who don't eat the way you choose to eat. Amen? We need to be kind and loving to each other. But at the same time, these things are meant to be a benefit to our own souls and if it changes your life, other people might be more open to trying it out themselves. Amen? So let us close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is altogether lovely, he who alone can give us salvation. We realize we don't go to heaven because of what we eat. That is silly. But it can make our pathway to heaven so much easier. It may make us happier with our friends and family and wife and children. And Father, I pray somebody else who may be going through what I went through for 10 years of darkness. 10 years of suffering. Father, I'm so thankful that you allowed me to go through that. So that you could show me a way out for my soul. And Father, if there's someone else who may be struggling with the same things, and this is one of the factors that may be impacting them, I pray that you give them the strength to maybe take hold of it, give it a try, and also reap the very same benefits that have taken place in my life and in my wife's life and our marriage. Bless each one of us. I pray that you've given us, we're at an agricultural conference, Lord. Help us learn to be better at agriculture, that we can be better families, friends, that we can be happier, healthier people, but people who reflect Jesus more and more. In his name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.